0: Hello and welcome to the Wireless Noodle. This week I'm going to be talking about CES. What happened at CES or rather what didn't happen at CES because obviously it was a virtual show this year. Also it's been a busy couple of weeks for events, for conferences and various other sessions so I want to talk you through a few things that I've done at those and there's a few other bits and bobs to pick up along the way. My name is Matt Hatton. This is The Wireless Noodle, your weekly guide to the impact of disruptive new technologies on business. I've been getting some feedback on the podcast over the last few weeks, and one of the things that seems to have come up is people feel that it's perhaps a little bit too scripted, and that's a fair point. I tend to know exactly what it is I want to say, and so I kind of prep what it is I'm going to talk about. But this week I'm going to treat it a little bit differently. I'm going to treat it a little bit more like one of the presentations that I might give and let's face it I do that an awful lot. Uh, So I'm just going to talk through some of the things I've been doing this week. One of those relates to CES. I was speaking at the IoT London meetup which like just about everything is virtual at the moment and I was talking about what some of the announcements were at CES this year. Now obviously there wasn't a proper show uh, but lots and lots of companies who would typically have been exhibiting there Have decided to make the equivalent announcements or run webinars or whatever in order to kind of fill that void of not being able to go to Las Vegas. So, what I want to do is share with you my thoughts on that. Now, the first thing to say is that it's not necessarily a well considered analysis of every single announcement that happened at CES in Las Vegas, or rather, not in Las Vegas. It's more a brain dump of some of the things that I happen to have seen and particularly a focus on more product oriented announcements. I I guess that's the way of thinking about it, Uh, particularly because that was what the IoT London Meetup folks would have been, I think, more interested in. There was, for instance, a lot of news around semiconductors, uh, new Intel CEO, Qualcomm acquired a company called Nuvia, a whole bunch of other things like that. But that's not really what I wanted to focus on today. First announcement that I wanted to pick up on was the one from Amazon specifically related to Amazon Ring. It was an announcement about introducing end-to-end encryption. Now, Amazon, AWS have doubled down on the concept of security and privacy, as I talked about in podcast one or two ago. They're also particularly keen to talk about openness, longevity of products, continuity of products, that kind of thing. At least this in part is because they want to compare themselves favorably with Google, who have a reputation for, shall we say, dumping products when they become inconvenient to continue with. Next announcement was around HEX Home. Okay, Not a new idea this one. The principle is you use a Wi-Fi router to flood the home with Wi-Fi signals and then you can use that to detect if there's movement within the building. Effectively like a sonar or radar or something along those lines. Now, we've seen this a few times from a few companies that were startups that haven't really commercialized in a, in a significant way. But this was quite an interesting one because it, it seems to actually be coming to market now. Intriguing stuff. There was also a whole lo- a load of other security and connected home stuff. Alarm.com launched a, something called the FlexIO Sensor. We had Sync, which is the former C by GE, launching a bunch of products, including an outdoor smart plug. I feel this is a little bit ironic given that effectively no one can leave home at the moment in huge swathes of the world, that there's so much focus on connected building where a whole load of the value is associated with being able to remotely control your home when you're not there. Well, mostly people are there at the moment, but nevertheless, I suppose there's a, a big focus on improving people's living conditions and making life just that little bit more Bearable at the moment, so maybe this is accounted for uh, or accounts a lot for why there might be some interest in some connected home products. There was also a really interesting announcement from Samsung. This related to converting your old phones to sensors. Smartphones, pretty intelligent devices, got lots of sensors, lots of capabilities. So making it so that they can be used instead as baby monitors or light sensors makes some sense. After all, what else are you going to do with your old smartphones? They're lying around going to waste, sitting in the kitchen drawer or, or whatever. And it makes sense in these increasingly environmentally friendly times to think about using those devices for something else. So safe to say I like that Samsung initiative. What else do we had? A whole lot of other new products. Lots focused on water. Water meters, taps, sump pumps, toilets and so on. We had on the toilet example, the Curler Touchless Toilet. And we had the Moen Water Security System. Lots of things focused on, on water. Lots of things also focused on air. The Bosch Air Sensor, 3M Connected Air Purifier, air things Virus Risk Indicator Device, uh, Smart Masks. I suppose it was inevitable we'd have Smart Masks in 2021, but the AirPop Smart Mask, which includes local air quality monitoring. So everybody's a little bit obsessed. Of course, with cleanliness at the moment, so clean water, clean air. It, it was almost inevitable that 2021 CES would feature a lot of those things. Lots of other health-related things. Now, health is normally a pretty substantial part of CES, that kind of wearables, wellness-type application. And this year was no different. In fact, it, slightly more pronounced, if anything. There was an interesting-looking fall-sensing ceiling lamp from Nobi company called Healthy You is a biometrics monitor. A company called Humetrics had their pandemic response platform for healthcare organisations, which is to help with uh, making sure that everybody gets vaccinated and so forth. So a plethora of different services around health and also fitness. Samsung launched its Health Smart Trainer, which is... Uh, Able to analyse your posture and so on while you're exercising, exercising in front of your Samsung smart TV for the most part. Which sounds uh, it's interesting given that most people's exercise is going to be within the home at the moment. I think there's some some uh, some credibility in that. And Bowflex uh, launched as well to offer some competition for Peloton, who seem to have gone from strength to strength. Funny thinking about Peloton when they first launched. There was so much skepticism about that as a company that anybody would pay that amount of money for a piece of exercise machinery. But as with anything in business, uh, most of it's about timing and they've hit the market at exactly the right time because for 12 months, nobody's been able to go to a gym. It's more difficult to get out the house. It's done them really well. And it's probably unsurprising that we've got uh, a little rash of Uh, competitors arriving on the market for them. So some really great products. You may not remember, but back in episode one, I think, I talked about my book, The Internet of Things Myth. And part of that was talking about crazy products, ridiculous products that everybody thought would take off, connected products, that is, uh, that would drive these 50 billion connected things uh, that some people were expecting for the IoT. Things like connected toothbrushes and uh, kettles and connected wine bottles and, and so on. There's not so many of those crazy ideas anymore, uh, but there were a few. I don't know whether you remember a couple of years back. There was the connected door, which uh, employees who were of delivery companies would be able to open up and and uh, put your your deliveries through. Well, we got a, a similar sort of approach with the MyQ Pet Portal, which is a glorified cat flap, I guess you think of it as, although they tend to illustrate it by showing a dog going through it. It's a a pretty big flap for $3,000. Now, I would describe that as probably of marginal interest for most people. Perhaps there's a market for it. I suspect it's not a big market. There's another interesting one, and again, from Samsung, there's been a lot of Samsung. This one, I'm not quite so keen on compared to, to how uh, positive I was about the other announcements I, I talked about a moment ago. The the Bot Handy. It's a, about a metre, metre 20 high column with a gripping handle. It's a robot that moves around your home and can pour you glasses of wine, empty the dishwasher, presumably. Fill the dishwasher as well. Now, maybe again, uh, I'll be generous and say marginal utility. There's probably a small group of people for whom this would be tremendously useful. For the most part, though, I think it's a a little bit pie in the sky. And we don't know the price for that one as well. You know, if it's $200, obviously, I think it's brilliant. I think everybody should get one. If it's $20,000, maybe not so much. And talking of things that cost $20,000, well, not quite $20,000, Curler launched their smart bathtub for $15,998. I'm not going to go into all the details of all the features and functionality. Obviously, you can fill it remotely. There's a whole bunch of other other elements to it. But $16,000 for a bathtub, does it matter how good the functionality is? Probably not. The interesting thing was that I had to really go looking, really had to go hunting around for examples of applications or products that looked a little bit crazy this year. Whereas if you went back seven or eight years, they were there in spades. And what was missing? That's always an interesting question. What didn't we see much of that we might otherwise have expected to? AI, machine learning. There wasn't very much of that. I wonder whether to a certain extent it's because we're in unprecedented times and actually ai has proved to be not very good in unprecedented times it struggles with it ai needs lots of time series data or uh, information on which to base its analysis and and things are changing so rapidly that maybe ai just can't keep up maybe that's the 10,000 foot view of why ai isn't getting so much interest i mean you take COVID itself, AI was pretty useless at addressing the requirements of of the world to find a, a cure for or to cope with the impact of a pandemic, largely because it doesn't have an awful lot of experience. So it proved to be epidemiology and drugs manufacture of a traditional kind that was more capable of addressing it than AI. Maybe it's just a question of time. Maybe AI is just too early in its development to actually help address this problem. Now, that's not to say there wasn't quite a lot of AI washing of applications. Quite a lot of things mention AI. But actually, if you dig into it, you know, deciding where to put the pepperoni on a pizza is not, for my money, AI. And there was a fair amount of things like that. But then again, CES is a consumer show. Perhaps it just also hasn't permeated through there. Slightly more surprising, I think, given that it's a consumer show, is the lack of, or was the lack of, discussion about AR and VR, augmented reality and and virtual reality. There were one or two choice announcements, but not very much. I I, I sort of felt like this would be a year of AR-VR. Funnily enough, at least in part, because surely... In this year, any kind of other reality, whether it's virtual or augmented, is preferable to the current one. But there wasn't that much that was new in the AR VR world, it seems to me. The other one's 5G. There wasn't that much 5G. We did see Verizon pushing it as a cure-all for pandemic times and just about anything relating to the pandemic, which I think is possibly a little bit overhyping the benefits of, of 5G. There was also a lot of talk about Industry 4.0 needing 5G networks, which I'm not sure is entirely true given that most industrial networks today aren't 5G. Now, there are some benefits obviously from 5G, I've talked about them before, but it's not a magic wand. And there are some fairly well defined use cases cars and cameras and factory robots and, and so on, but most of everything else is 5G washing. So we've seen some AI washing and some 5G washing, but precious little of either that's really been particularly interesting or transformational to my mind. Okay, and that's my little roundup of what I've seen at CES. And speaking of CES, as I was, I ran a session during CES on connected cars. Well, particularly actually focused on autonomous driving, and vehicle to vehicle, vehicle to infrastructure, those kinds of things. And the main talking points were really about this being an evolution. We've had historically quite a lot of connected cars. It's getting to the point now where most vehicles are rolling off the production line connected. And there's an evolution to get from there through through vehicle to vehicle and vehicle to infrastructure communications to something approaching autonomous driving. There's been a lot of hype around autonomous driving over the last few years. I'm talking about hype a lot this week. But anyway, there's been a lot of hype around autonomous driving and when it might arrive. And actually, there are still some fundamental barriers. It's very difficult to have autonomous driving side by side with regular driving. It would be fine if every vehicle was autonomous and every road had been designed specifically for use by autonomous vehicles. But the world isn't like that. And it's very difficult to roll out a a system in parallel with one that already exists. It's a little bit like, you know, who bought the first fax machine? How do you roll out a system, an autonomous system, when you've also got to cope with a non-autonomous world? Rather more challenging to get to, I think, than everybody is assuming. And that's just one of a whole bunch of shows that I've been doing recently. Well, I say shows, events, webinars and so on. There was a particularly interesting one from IoT on smart cities and device management that I participated in just recently. Now I've talked about device management recently, but just to run through what some of the discussions were on that and that session. The point is, I guess that managing a remote device in the field, an IoT device is becoming more complex. And so there's more of a requirement for remote over-the-air device management. Some of the conclusions from the panel were there's much more of a requirement for the use of, say, lightweight M2M as a standard. The reasons for this? Well, there's more devices doing more things. You know, we went from a billion or two billion connected devices 10 years ago to, what, nine or 10 billion today. So there's more, more devices, just a bigger real estate of things that need to be connected and managed. There's a bunch of low power technologies which have arrived, which are a little bit more difficult to manage, shall we say, deliberately low bandwidth in order to conserve power. And so it's a little bit more challenging to make sure that they have their firmware upgraded compared to if you whacked an LTE modem in just about everything. So that creates an extra extra challenge. You want a lighter footprint for the device management. Edge computing, I've talked about edge computing a lot over the course of the last uh, few months. Edge computing means more sophisticated devices requiring more management. There's just uh, more smarts on those devices. There's more need for localization. I'm not talking about necessarily eSIM or, or subscription localization, but just uh, there are some specific requirements for... Uh, putting a device into a country and making sure it's sending its data to the right place, the APNs and the SMS settings, and a whole bunch of things that need doing. And there's an increasing demand for n- low touch or no touch deployment. And the reason for that is you've got more and more marginal use cases. If all you're connecting is Rolls Royce engines, which cost millions of dollars, well, Sending an engineer out to, to replace the, the device if it happens to go uh, a bit out of kilter is no big problem. But for devices that cost a few tens of cents or a few dollars that are performing a task of environmental sensing or something less mission critical, sending a, a person out to repair them, it's just not on. You need to be able to do that in an automated way and you need to be able to do it in a in a scalable way, there's also greater security risks. Again, IoT bit of a victim of its own success. There's lots more security uh, vectors for hackers to exploit, and that being the case, there's a lot more of a requirement for device management. Device management and security have always always been pretty closely associated. Mostly, it's about making sure that that device isn't hackable. Well, first of all, it's about making sure that it works, and then. Making sure that it's not hackable. And really, um, security requirements change, and the balancing of security versus a bunch of other commercial factors, like time to market or profitability or any number of things, has to be flexible. You know, sometimes you'll want a you'll want maximum security. Sometimes you'll feel like, okay a certain threat has, has been removed or a certain threat has. Has increased and therefore the trade-offs have to shift a little bit and you need the flexibility to be able to do that in real time. It's not just a case of uh, maximum security at all times, it's a case of the right amount of sh- security changing according to the threat. There you go, just some thoughts on device management in the context of smart cities. I very much recommend you check out the replay of the webinar. I will stick a link to on the Wireless Noodle website to it. Other speakers on there were ONCE, which is a fascinating and attention-grabbing MVNO, uh, ITRON, the guys who make smart meters and do a whole bunch of other things, and IoT Europe, which handles device management. And the third event-type thing that I wanted to bring up was actually one that's coming up in the future, and that's the Things network event it's called the the Things Conference in in fact that's one that should have been in Amsterdam this week, possibly next week, uh, but instead it's being held as a a virtual event and what they've asked me to do is a bit similar to how I was involved last year was to uh, give a presentation, run a workshop, uh, but also to interview uh, some knowledgeable people about. The, uh, the IoT and their products and so on. Uh, so recommend you check those out. There's some quite interesting stuff from uh, Semtech and Tectelic and ST Microelectronics talking about oh, all sorts of things practically relating to the deployment of LoRa networks. There's some discussion around satellite as well and low-cost gateways and, and so on. Uh, so they'll, those interviews will be available next week, uh, 28th or 29th. Think. But back to my presentation and my workshop that I did for them. Both of them were on more or less the same theme, and that theme was IoT forecasts. You will be bored of hearing me talk about IoT forecasts, although I'm going to do it a little bit more uh, later on in this podcast. The first keynote session was me sharing some thoughts on some of the challenges associated with forecasting the IoT and why we didn't hit 50 billion devices and so on. I've talked about that in previous podcasts. The second part was a workshop. In fact, they might be the other way around. Maybe the workshops first and the presentations coming second. Either way, I'm sure you'll want to tune in for both of them. Anyway, the workshop, what I'm doing is I am doing a set of IoT forecasts live. I have a guinea pig who is going to tell me what area of the Internet of Things they want to forecast. And we're going to live create a set of forecasts. Why would we do this? Well, Forecasting is important. People need to come up with predictions on where their market's going to go. We do it as analysts because it's much more cost effective for us to do it for 100 people than for those individual companies to do it for themselves. But anybody can do it. If you wanted to forecast a very narrow niche market, probably it makes sense to, to do it yourself. What I'll be showing is how to do forecasting, how to come up with a set of numbers which will allow you to set targets for the sales team or to put in investor packs. Everybody wants to know what the market they're involved in is going to look like in five or ten years. Very important skill for anybody involved in technology, actually. And it's the first time I think, certainly the first time I've ever presented live using Excel, showing people live how I build a model. So it, it could be an absolute car crash or it could be an utter delight. I hope you'll be able to tune in for that. Uh, Again, I'll put a link to that event on the Wireless Noodle website. And just one more thing on the topic of forecasting and specifically IoT forecasting. At Transform Insights yesterday, we published a a new report on hyperconnectivity, connectivity And that report features some new forecasts that we've done. The principle behind those forecasts is, okay, we've got a set of IoT forecasts of connected devices, including technologies. But what we tend to look at is the highest embedded technology. Okay, so if something it has Wi-Fi and 2G and 3G and 4G, we count that as a 4G device. That's typically how you would forecast this, this market. And that's how we've always done it in the past. But what we've been doing over the course of the last few months is trying to build up a picture of those other secondary technologies. And the reason why we do this is manyfold. Partly it's because the market's become so fragmented. Okay? It used to be that you just had generations, you just progressed through the generations. So a 3G device also included 2G. And a 4G device included 4G and 3G and 2G and probably short range as well. But now it's getting much more fragmented. You know, a 4G device probably doesn't include 3G anymore, may not include 2G in the future with networks being switched off. You've got low power wide area technologies which might bypass the whole of the generational aspect or actually might embrace some of those technologies because they can't cope with the over the air updates that I was discussing during the session on device management. All of which means that actually you get a a much more of a variety of uh, technologies being used in, in different devices, which makes it worthwhile knowing in total how many devices have short range, how many devices have any of these other different technologies, rather than just take the total number of devices and split them up between whatever the the highest enabling technology is. Useful for anybody who's selling IoT devices as well, of course, because or selling the intellectual property associated with it. You want to know how many 3G devices there are out in the market if you've got some valuable IPR associated with it. And that might be hidden in a forecast where all you're looking at is the highest embedded technology. Anyway, I think I've sold the benefits of of that kind of approach well enough. Key findings? Some of the interesting findings? Well, probably nothing that was too surprising, but it's worth noting uh, short-range technologies today are on about 94% of all IoT devices. That share is going to fall to 88%, mostly because you've got a whole load of short range, sorry, a whole load of low power wide area devices which don't have short range as a backup. I mean, most devices have some kind of short-range capability. Even a drone, for instance, probably has somewhere you can plug in a USB cable or a Ethernet cable, or they're Wi-Fi or Bluetooth capable. When we think about just wide area network, though, if we exclude those short-range technologies, almost half of devices by 2030 will include what we call 5G MMTC, i.e. narrowband IoT, LTEM and successor technologies, and a further 20% incorporating the non-MMTC unlicensed low-power wide-area technologies. That's fully two-thirds of wide-area devices that will be low-power wide-area enabled. Maybe not only that capability, but certainly including that capability. It's in with the new and there's also out with the old. Uh, we We'll see the last of 2G by 2030 and we're forecasting almost no IoT devices shipping with 3G beyond about 2025. In 2020, end of last year, 34% of wide area network devices were LTE. That's falls to about 22% by 2030. That's full fat LTE rather than the LTE or other low power variants. Now, that percentage shift masks the fact that the actual numbers of shipments continue to grow through through the forecast period. But the growth of the low power wide area, the very fast growth of that tends to make the percentages decline. And 5G, excluding the MMTC, so the full fat 5G, will be on 6% of WAN installed devices in 2030 and 11% of new WAN device sales. Worth noting, there's a bit of a geographical angle to this as well. Asia, particularly China, Japan, South Korea and India are going to lead the charge on replacing 2G with 5G MMTC technologies. In other regions, uh, there's already been a shift to traditional uh, generation technology. So to 4G LTE rather than to the MMTC. So in 2025, for instance, Japan's going to have 36% of WAN devices shipping with MMTC. But in comparison, the figure for Europe is just 16%. All fascinating stuff. I hope you've enjoyed this rather more casual approach to the podcast, I suppose. Last week, I haven't forgotten that I promised you some news on something that we at Transformer Insights have been working on. It it wasn't that hyperconnectivity forecast you will be probably unsurprised to hear. We've got some other interesting initiatives in, the, in progress and uh, I'll be sharing that with you as and when I can. Hopefully that will be next week, but it's a little bit to be confirmed. Uh, but stick with it. I hope you can join me next week when we'll be delving into a little more about uh, what's happening in the world of disruptive technologies. Links to some of the research that I've been referring to in this week's show, as well as the transcript of the recording, will be available on the podcast website at wirelessnoodle.com. Thank you for joining me. I've been Matt Hatton, and you've been listening to The Wireless Noodle. Thank you for listening to The Wireless Noodle. If you'd like to learn more about the research that I do on IoT, AI, and more, you can follow me on Twitter at Matty Hatton, And you can check out TransformerInsights.com. That's Transformer with an A.